For those who don't know, this is a break check episode three. I'm here with my man, Hassan Piker. And what, what does Alex Jones call you? Hassan Pecker. Can't what, make up that name. That's what he said. What else did he call you? Um, he called me. Uh, he said my audience was uh, pedophile uh, cannibals, mm. uh, cannibal drug addict pedophiles. All three? Uh, all of them, yeah. Mm. At the same time. He said I got bitch tits. Wow. Yeah, he said, I bet he's got some big old giant bitch tits. That's what he said. I mean, half of these are about <laughs> my subscriber alerts on my Twitch. So, like, I hear it every day in the back of my mind. Have you considered his supplements before? Um, I think, I think I'd be too powerful if I took his supplements. So, I just, I gotta, like, I gotta keep it uh, an even playing field for everybody. think you could beat alex jones in a fight yes street fight like leverage versus leverage i mean you guys running let's say you see him in an alleyway you guys run at each other full speed you think you'd be able to take him down yes i'm confident yeah how come because he's too top heavy Mm. you've we've all seen him running down the street where he's like in seattle yeah yeah (laughs) yeah like he he's actually decently agile yeah for for his age and and his body mm-hmm. like he's like what i call like fat but not he he's not like regular fat like it's not doughy it's like thick yeah you know what i mean he, he's like have you ever it's like dad fat you know well like yeah. sometimes you know your dad is a belly but you're, but it's rock hard yeah and you're like what the fuck like what's going on like my belly is not as hard mm-hmm. i got i got fat in there i think alex jones is like that but all around yeah but because of that, he's top heavy, and I think you could just like sweep the legs. Easy. Yeah, you know, same could be said for me though. Probably. Mm. Are you are you bottom heavy? No, I'm I'm definitely top heavy. I'm like yeah, very bulky up top. I people make fun of me for it, but I mean, I I work out my legs enough. I think I'll be fine. Yeah, I've thought about it. I've thought about the what it would be like if Alex Jones and I had like a like a fight. Yeah, it'd be like an anime, you know, just like my eyes and then alex jones's eyes come up like this on the screen your uncle was pretty close to fighting him right yes he was that video is crazy i love that uh, jimmy Dore spat on him whoa so your uncle is shank from the young turks yeah and where where was he whenever alex jones confronted him on that set i think they were at the rnc yeah i believe maybe in cleveland i don't even know jesus christ politics is just Sucks. Your uncle's pretty fucking scary, dude. When he started yelling at Alex Jones, I was like, damn, that really might scrap. So Jank literally also has the same body that Alex Jones does. Jank is like surprisingly strong. He's stout. I mean, yeah. that's a good word for it. Like he puts up like two plates easy. Uh, and, you know, he's a wrestler. He, he played football and stuff. And he used to be like a big brawler, too. So um, I, I do think that Jank could easily defeat Alex Jones. Wow. What's a plate? Is that 45 pounds? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how, how many plates can you put up? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm i I'm not as strong as I used to be in COVID. It's yeah. just super you're, complex. You're pretty fucking huge, though, man. Like, when you yeah. walked in the door, I was like, damn, this guy's giant. I <laughs> oh, didn't you're, know. you're big, too. You're, big, you're, you're big a big boy. You're a big boy. <laughs> it's, a, it's like, on camera, it looks like you're normal size, but you're not. I'm telling you guys, if you haven't seen Andrew in real life, he's like, 
what are you like six i'm like six three you're six three you're a big boy you got big hair too 190 pretty much all muscle mass yeah no yeah, yeah. i mean you you do have a workout i do have yeah yeah I, i'm putting up a half a plate on each side in the backyard i saw there. i saw dude you saw that shit yeah that's why it's kind of fascinating because i i posted i was like uh what do you guys want to ask hassan and all these people are like why is he such a beta and it's weird because <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is probably my fans, by the way. They love trolling. It's just weird because, like, you're like a giant, strong dude, <laughs> and they assume you're like some like soy-fed, like extremely emotional person. I mean, I'm definitely an emotional person yeah. for sure. But... You know what I mean? Like super reactive and sensitive. But yeah, it seems like you're not like that. Well, I, I definitely get heated. I definitely get heated. I think that's because of politics. Like, mm -hmm. it's like Ben Shapiro talking about masculinity. It's like, dude, come on. Mm -hmm. Like, you're five three. Ben Shapiro's 5'3"? I think, or 5'4". There's four. no fucking way he's 5'3". Maybe 5'3". That's four. like a little Uzi height. That's small. Yeah, like he's tiny. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a small bean, you know? Mm, yeah. And and he's out here talking about masculinity. It's same with Trump. Like, I mean, Trump's a big boy, but like, yeah. he's so sassy. Like, these, are, these aren't like traditional beacons of masculinity. And for a lot of people, I think they just substitute like your politics for whether you're soy or not. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, because I uh, advocate for marginalized communities, things like that, equality, like these are soy values. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to wear jewelry. That could be it. Yeah. So, so in general, you, could you fight two Ben Shapiro's at once, you think? Oh, easy. Two? Three. You could fight three Ben Shapiro's? Easy. From, from all different angles at, at random. Yeah. Because yeah. like, cause, cause I got too much, like, I could just kick them. Like, I got yeah. too much... There's just too much distance I can put between myself and like maybe I'm picturing it like I probably do the, the cartoon thing where yeah. he's like trying to punch me and then I hold him from his little baby head like this mm -hmm. and he's just like swinging under my arm. But he, but the distance is too great. He can't make up it. The distance. I see what you mean. So you said that you get all these people get, are gonna think I'm like trying to fight them. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that you get you get fired up about political stuff, right? I do, yeah. What's got you fired up right now? Like when you woke up today, what's on your mind? What got me fired up today? Um, so there is uh California Transportation mm -hmm. has purchased a bunch of houses. Um, I believe for a project they were uh, expanding a, a highway. I I, I, I'm going to pull this up, actually. I don't want to give, like, incorrect or incomplete data. Mm -hmm. But uh, last night, and this is Thanksgiving Eve, is when we're recording this. Or this is Thanksgiving when we're recording this. But Thanksgiving Eve last night, um, the video starts surfacing of the California Highway Patrol running into these uh, houses and uh, handcuffing people, zip-tying them, kicking them out. People are protesting. I look into it. It's in East Los Angeles, uh, the community of El Sereno, where there are dozens of CHP officers. Some are in tactical gear and they're evicting and arresting people who uh, went and opened up vacant homes. Now, these aren't even vacant homes that like it, the, the mom and pop landlord owns, like, mm -hmm. which, you know, that doesn't happen regardless. These aren't like vacant homes that a private equity uh, seized. These are vacant homes that the California state owns right now. And um, they, they purchased these homes for a freeway extension. Project got nixed two years ago. 65 homes owned by the state are still vacant. Mm -hmm. These people open them up. They live in it. They're in a neighborhood. Like the community doesn't care. They don't mind. They don't mind having them there. They want them to be there. They're putting the houses to use. 
they come in like with the Gestapo force, basically beat the shit out of people, gas the the, the neighbors that are protesting the cops mm-hmm. doing this, dragging kids and, and poor people out of their shelters mm-hmm. on uh, Thanksgiving Eve. So that really, uh, that was what got me heated. Yeah, that's whack. Sorry, I know that this is supposed to be, I, I fucked the No, no, up. it's all good, man. <laughs> okay. No, that's crazy. Yeah. So they were legally squatting yeah. in homes. Were they, yeah. were they furnishing them, I'm assuming? Um, I'm not entirely sure if they were furnishing them or yeah. not, but uh, it, it, they are families. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, like random people just uh, chilling in a house, like, or teenagers that broke in somewhere. It's not like punk musicians, like, yeah, smoking yeah, yeah. tar on the yeah. ground. No. It's just disgusting. It's like, reappropriate those houses. Like, this is a perfect example of, of the housing crisis that we have in America, and it's totally manufactured. Totally manufactured. There yeah. are thousands of vacant homes. There are more vacant homes right now in the entirety of the United States of America that could house three times the homeless population that we have. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's the same concept as we have a surplus in food. We, we make we we create more food than we consume or can consume. And yet we have uh, food insecurity at record high levels. Great Depression era levels in certain parts of the country right now, mm-hmm. as a consequence of COVID. So, as far as serving ho- like houseless folk and giving them a place to live, yeah. For you, what do you see as the I- ideal solution to that to that issue? Public housing. I think housing is a human right. Food is a human right. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is a human right. We can't even get on board with healthcare, <laughs> so it's going to be really hard to convince people of. But um, we do what other countries have done. Yeah. Offer, offer public housing. Mm-hmm. Not shelters, not just shelters, even like not halfway homes, public housing, uh, not Section 8, mm-hmm. full public housing. But that would, of course, be uh, a government solution. And that would also mean that the government has to now compete with all of these private equities that see so many of these properties. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's going to ruin the housing market. So what are what's, you know, what's Blackstone going to do then? That's terrible. We can't have that. Yeah. I didn't realize so many homes were vacant in the entire country. Oh, yeah. 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 We have a, a, a tremendous number of vacant homes in this country. Mm-hmm. There are so many homes that are vacant. Uh, it's, it's a totally artificial problem that we've created. Now, obviously, in the, in the metro areas, uh, when you look at the metro areas, that's one thing. Or when you look at, like, the actual downtown. Mm-hmm. Like, when you look at, uh, at the, the actual uh, city in a lot of places, like that's not the same. Obviously, a lot of these rural uh, areas have you know vacant homes and whatnot. But, um, but even in uh, the greater metropolitan, when you look at uh, like San Francisco, for example, yeah, I think the number is fifty six thousand vacant, vacant homes. homes. I mean, I feel like SF's the ultimate model of what not to do when a city's yeah. experiencing growth. Like, you should look to SF forever as like they fucked up in every single possible yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, but tremendous growth for owners of capital. So. So what role do you think real estate developers play in this? Because I am under the impression that real estate developers are the real sharks of the housing crisis. Like when, when I was growing up in Seattle, I, w- I would see like, um, hear stories about like mostly like homies of mine of color with their, their grandparents would own like a house and a real estate developer would come by with like um, $10,000 in cash and be like, I will give you this cash right now, like in this briefcase for the deed to your house. Yeah. And then that house would remain vacant for maybe even up to a couple of years before they could find like a new sort of textile person to come in and fill that spot for like a gnarly ass house price. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, the, the other part of the problem is of course the housing market crash, 
a lot of these homes uh, are were, were foreclosed and uh, people like big banks bought them out. Mm -hmm. so private equity came in and seized all these properties basically. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and they can sit on it. Like for them, it's just an investment. Yeah. For renters, it's everything. It's shelter, mm -hmm. something that you need to survive. Um, it's, it's every part of the economy it works yeah. to, to maintain the illusion that like private property is a necessity. Mm -hmm. So what role do you think the sort of mass exodus from the West coast is playing into this housing crisis? Cause if you look at SF right now, because all these tech workers have gone back to where they came from because of COVID, you have one of the largest homeless populations, which is downtown San Francisco, you know, Tenderloin, that shit's like super fucked. And then you have all these basically vacant apartments everywhere. Like maybe there'll be like, it'll be like two thirds vacant units. Do you think that cities have a responsibility to house their homeless population? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, economists would consider that to be a moral hazard. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's never a moral hazard when you bail out big banks with taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. Not a moral hazard when they're too big to fail. It's a moral hazard when you house the homeless, though. When mm -hmm. you, when you uh, give money to the poor even in a time of like COVID when they can't go to work. Yeah. That's a moral hazard. Now, yeah, I, I think about what Sacramento did when COVID first hit. They put all of the homeless people into this one La Quinta that was on the outskirts of town. And that just became totally fucked. Like it wasn't, they weren't looked after. They were all grouped together and not really given much like care. So when you, we talk about housing the homeless, do you, do you see that as like dispersing them in different communities around town and looking after them? Or do you think that they should be grouped together for this solution? No, you don't have to group them together. That's um, just what the cities typically do. That's what they did in Seattle. Yeah, and it, yeah. no, yeah. no, it's, it's about integration. It's, it's, I mean, these are people after yeah. all, right? And some of them have, uh, some of them have other problems on top of, of being homeless. Some of them have these problems because they're homeless, drug addiction. Uh, or mental health issues there's mm -hmm. that that requires a tremendous amount of treatment yeah that's jobs by the way that's from a capitalist point of view that's a lot of fucking jobs you build houses for the homeless if you want to build houses for them uh you you integrate uh, homeless people back into these communities mm -hmm. those are all jobs that you could create do you think anybody's too far gone to be to like undergo psychotherapy certainly there's there's definitely people that you can't yeah. rehabilitate right now with uh, how much with the with the level of scientific knowledge that we have and i'm not a psychologist but um there is certainly to my knowledge to the best of my understanding there are people that you cannot rehabilitate currently but that doesn't mean you should stop trying yeah i just think about when i was like 14 15 my best friend the student leandre we used to like you know smoke weed together after school mm -hmm. he started doing a bunch of acid and his like you know underlying schizophrenia started really coming out and he's been in and out of basically psych wards and, and programs for the last what 15 years or something like that yeah and i just wonder like for, for people like him like i guess at the end of the line like when someone's brain is just sort of like unfixable like what's the solution for that kind of person because i think that the fear that people like in you know rich communities have of the homeless is this sort of like loose cannon unfixable person it's not yeah i agree with you on that yeah but i'm talking about you have to address things based upon the fear of the people opposing it. You know what I mean? Like what, you know, when someone like Ben Shapiro, for example, who's disgusted by the homeless people in Los Angeles and actually what he moved to Nashville basically because of the homeless population. Yeah. He was like, there's syringes everywhere in Beverly Hills. Which is ironic because Nashville yeah. is very blue. Yeah. And also has a homeless population. Definitely does. Of course. So like, I, I guess that, you know, 
what what do you think should be done with like the the most outcasted portion of the homeless population the most outcasted portion of the homeless population i i don't know i think it's it's uh, probably the most ethical thing to do is ensure that they are safe and and happy Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah uh but uh again i'm not a mental health uh specialist but the reason why i i don't even think about the the edge cases the most extreme cases mm-hmm. right which are the cases that you see or hear about of course so yeah. you just assume that's the reason that like so many homeless people are homeless is because they have like mental health problems that have just gone unaddressed for so long or because they have drug addiction and like you know they they just like uh they just wanted to be homeless like that's the mentality that so many people have is that like people yeah don't uh succumb to homelessness but it's because they're lazy and that's so fucking insane that's not the case at all i I am sure you're aware of this as well yeah that like homelessness is caused by not being able to afford shelter Mm -hmm. and the burden that that has on your brain uh, uh, while you're still trying to well you that that lack of security while you're still trying to work because a lot of these uh homeless people still live in their cars at the first stage you know what i mean when they get priced out of the housing market they just Mm -hmm. live in their cars and they're still doing uh albeit replaceable but essential labor yeah uh, in the front lines and um you know they're still trying to keep it together and recover and it's rather difficult for them and then they start succumbing to uh, additional problems yeah so i think you gotta you got to make sure that the problem doesn't occur at the at the starting point mm-hmm. that people don't get priced out of the housing market and then beyond that uh mental health treatment is an absolute necessity should start right with. I, I always think about you know the spectrum of, of homeless people that i know because i mean i grew up in seattle downtown so i basically yeah. grew up in a completely what they call overrun with homeless zone and uh my introduction to journalism was through the homeless population you know because yeah. like my introduction to journalism was doing tags and smoking weed under bridges so my mom wouldn't see me when she was driving by. So my first people that I would go in depth with were like listening to the, the tragedies and victories of super dejected veterans and homeless people across the city of Seattle. And I think there's a really broad spectrum, but I think you're right. And I think that, you know, so many people just think of all homeless people as like unsavable. Like that, yeah. you know, that Ben Shapiro thing where he's like, why I'm leaving California. Yeah. Of and it's course, so yeah. crazy because like, there is like Venice Beach style voluntary homeless people who are like in the acid drum circle, living yeah, their no, van types. Crusty anarchists. Yeah, there's there's crusty kids like gutter punks in New Orleans. But I feel like if you go to like Skid Row or somewhere where it's way more like rough and tumble, like there's nothing voluntary about that. There can't be. It's the worst way to live possible. Yeah. 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 It's not glamping, that's for sure. Yeah, the underbridge yeah. people are not like there because yeah. they, they want it to be. And I think that first stage is important too. Like, you know, so many people that, you know, work jobs with you, maybe work in the kitchen with you or at a community college class with you, like are actually technically homeless. Yeah. They live on friends' couches. They live in a van by themselves. Like that first stage is kind of the invisible stage because people think of homelessness as this binary. It's like either I'm yeah. in the house or on Skid Row, but there's yep. so many stages in between. And, you know, like even as a traveler, I've never been homeless, but I hung out with many people who were technically homeless and I never thought of them that way. And I feel like even the title homeless person is so all-encompassing and like incorrect. I don't know. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, the way that we deal with it right now is really bad. It, mm. We just criminalize it. Yeah. And we push uh, homeless people away from wealthy parts of the uh, wealthy parts of the country or wealthy parts of the city. 
Yeah. Specifically, just like push him away to a different part that you can't really see. Mm -hmm. When in fact, um, like I said, the, the the main problem is, especially in the earlier stages, the main problem is like just not having shelter, affordable housing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about gentrification in this in this situation, too, because that's what's co what causes the yeah. early stages of homelessness. Right. Yeah. So like beyond rent control, like what can cities do? I guess to incentivize property owners to not sell their houses to newcomers. Because for example, like it, a lot of it's like pretty like cultural values from group to group, like Chinatown in New York is still Chinese because the Chinese will not sell their apartment blocks to investors and real estate guys. So like what, how can you make it? Cause a lot of it is like, like I said, offering cash for property, flipping the neighborhood, changing everything to be more expensive, like Echo Park. Like, what do you think can realistically be done? Should, is that a city responsibility or what? I think you have to tackle the problem at, at its at its root. And uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the root of the problem is capitalism ultimately. And it's the, the like, you got to make it unaffordable to own multiple properties. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that uh, home ownership is a... a a significant way that uh, so many people uplift themselves like they own an additional apartment or mm -hmm. something like that like there are the mom and pop home uh, the mom and pop homeowners that are like technically landlords there's so many of them out there mm -hmm. but then there's also the private equity uh apartment complex uh, owners and and that is the the real issue that's the real problem and and you have to make that unaffordable yeah. you have to make it so that you have to work towards uh decommodification that's that's all you can do is uh decommoditize housing mm -hmm. and that's what rent control is because rent control is a band-aid solution and in some circumstances rent control can actually uh hurt uh the the goals that you're trying to achieve mm -hmm. right i love rent control personally i think rent control is great i wish we had rent control in more parts of the country and in, in our cities but um, but that is ultimately a step towards decommoditization. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I always say like public housing is a necessity on top of everything else mm -hmm. while simultaneously making it unaffordable to own multiple properties and rent them out. Like just end like being a slumlord basically. So do you think some people should pay for housing and others should not? Or you think that everyone should get free housing? Well, in a perfect world, I would hope that everyone could get free housing, but mm -hmm. uh, I understand that some people uh, can pay for housing, but uh, those who cannot should be able to take advantage of public housing, mm -hmm. free housing or nearly free housing, like very, very low uh, payments that you make. How much are we thinking? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I really don't know how much it would be, how much it would cost. Yeah. But do you feel like people who work harder should have like nicer houses if they get it from the mud? Like, you know, like if someone's from the projects like and they work their ass off, like, do you think they should be able to have like a sick house when they come up? Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> I don't think that like I'm not the type of person who's like, I mean, I'm flashy as fuck. I like I like nice things. Yeah, okay? <laughs> I, I, I like luxury. I personally still drive a Toyota Camry. I don't have a use for like mm -hmm. I definitely live below my means. 1000% because I just don't care about those sorts of things. I care about being happy. Um, but, uh, but if, if these material possessions are going to make you happy, then yeah, go off. Like I, 
I'm not I'm not the type of person who's like, no, everything needs to be brutalist architecture. Everyone lives in apartment <laughs> blocks. And you know, you are no fun. Fun is only mandated yeah. uh, for three hours every weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's not I mean, no one is like that anyway. But yeah. But that's not what I'm saying at all. I just think that we need to our government needs to provide a base level of material equality for everyone. Mm-hmm. That means housing if needed. That means uh, that means mental health uh, programs if needed. That means healthcare across the board if needed. Education. That's true equality of opportunity. In America, we like to talk about how we have equality of opportunity and these people want equality of outcome. That's not true. We don't have equality of opportunity. We've never had equality of opportunity. I want the government to provide equality of opportunity. Yeah, I think education is like the most important shit. Like if I think about like the way like a bad education like affects like someone who's growing. Yeah. Like I even saw like my uh, my middle school was like segregated. You know, I don't know if you had this, had this experience too. I mean, but I there grew was... up in Turkey. So. Oh shit! <laughs> so it was really segregated. Yeah. There's no there's no black people <laughs> at all. Oh, I, I'm talking about like program to program. Yeah. So my middle school had three programs. They had regular ed, right? Spectrum, and then the advanced program, AP. So that was three different tiers, all dependent on like what, like some tests you took in fifth grade called the Wassel, and like however you did on this fifth grade aptitude test basically determine like your social life for the rest of middle school and high school. That shit was fucked up. Like the, the, the general ed was like predominantly all black and Hispanic and AP was like 95% white separate lunches, separate field trips. I was in the spectrum class. So I was with general ed and AP, but those AP kids would be going to the fucking science center. They'd be sending us to like the basketball court straight up for like six hours. Yeah, dude, that's how education is like on the whole West coast. That's so crazy. I Dude, LA too. They, they, you test into these tiers, like the gifted program. Yeah. That shit's crazy. Like this kid's had iPads and shit, man. I want to talk about one thing that I, that I was thinking about, and uh, it was the Streamy Awards. Oh, yeah. You and oh, I, we're competing. We're competing. Yeah, but, we so are. So you and I got nominated for, for best news show. I think it was you, me, and, and Complex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sexy Phil too. But yeah, it, it's like a couple like big brands. A couple of people that are like old guard that win like that have won like seven gajillion. Can you imagine if fucking complex wins? No, I don't think they'll give it to complex. There's no way because like streamies is more. Um, they're they're not as corporate from what I understand as like some of these other ones. Yeah, I um, mean like yeah, complex is like what taking Ty Dolla Signs like sneaker shopping. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like how is that a fucking news show? No yeah. offense to complex if you're watching, but no, no, oh, full offense to complex. Full offense. Are we beefing <laughs> with them now? No, hey, I'm beefing now. All right, so <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say like, do you think it's weird that? That we were nominated and not these giant right wing news. Do I think it's weird? Yeah. Um, like how how is Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro not nominated for that? But we are. I just thought about it, like they they do bigger numbers than us. They have yeah. a wider audience. They technically use the YouTube platform to a greater degree and bring more people to the site than we do. It'd be controversial for sure. That's but, why I think that these are yeah. ultimately still uh, very liberal uh, institutions. Uh, it's so liberal that like I'm yeah. surprised I got. Uh, I'm surprised I got uh, nominated, to be honest. Like, they're not too fond of of leftists either, but yeah. uh, they're certainly not fond of right wingers, and for understandable reason. Because like, mm-hmm. you're gonna put the, the the best news category. You're gonna have someone who's like, I don't know, advocating not to wear masks and shit, like, yeah. <laughs> and and saying that the the election was stolen. Like, that's not even, you know. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, because I was like, damn. 
Yeah, what we consider, I mean, yeah. complex is is uh, also not really news. Either. Hell no, dude. I mean, but neither are we. I mean, I guess. If we're yeah, not that we're news. definitely not news. Yeah, like, I, I guess I kind of. I mean, I I, I definitely I definitely cover the news, and you do we you cover do journalism it. as well. Like I, I think we we cover the news. We go out, we talk to people. You definitely do a lot more of that than I do. But, yeah. um, but like Stephen Crowder does that too. But yeah. for the right. For sure. So we went out and covered that QAnon Save Our Children rally together on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. That was in protest of that that show Cuties. Yeah. That was aired on Net, on Netflix for a brief period of time. I think they took it off now. Thank God. Yeah. That was a day of victory. That was a day of victory, So we never. Pedophilia is canceled now. We never talked after that. We just kicked it for like a couple hours and never really reflected on, on what happened. Like, oh, yeah. What was your takeaway? Because they oh. thought that you, you were you wearing a Hawaiian shirt? Yeah. As like a boogaloo disguise? Yeah. Oh, man. I thought that was your really your swag when I saw it. Oh, no, no. It is my swag. Oh, it's absolutely my swag. But I also do that on purpose, too, when I go to like stuff like that. You're so still like, rocking the Hawaiian shirt despite oh, the... Uh, 100%. Even post-Kyle Rittenhouse? I don't give a fuck, dude. Fuck mm. Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> like... He's not going to take that Hawaiian away from you? No, fuck no, dude. Okay. These fucking sacks of shit out here that are like, oh, yo, my father's jet ski dealership is in a, is in disarray, so now I'm upset. And <laughs> I'm going to fucking put a Hawaiian shirt on and, like, go defend pri- private property. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. You're not taking that away from me. I'm wearing that shit. So what was your takeaway from that shit? Because I felt bad for a lot of those people. Because a lot of those people were, like, our age. Not super right wing. Like I talked to that one dude, that one black dude with like the uh, like the Pan African fit, and he thinks that he was there to like really help kids. Dude, that guy was a fan of mine. I think he was cool, man. I talked to him for like twenty minutes, and he was like, "I'm a big fan. I'm just out here to you know advocate to save the children." That's how they get you. That's- like who's like who do you think is behind like the Q shit? Well, there is like uh, this is well documented and well tracked at this point, but like uh, QAnon started as a as a four chan conspiracy. Yeah. And it was a meme, just like everything else on 4chan. I think it was on poll, maybe, or if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, it might be another forum on uh, on 4chan. But uh, people would LARP as uh, like members of the intelligence community, and yeah. they would write these sorts of things. And then someone started posting as a Q a Q level security clearance, and uh, people started taking it seriously. It migrated from 4chan uh, to to 8chan, which was at the time owned by. Um, Getting his name. He's an interesting character. But uh Soros. <laughs> no. No, no. It, it's some like uh it was it was a dude who was like really into freedom of speech, who then recognized his mistake and, and has been trying <laughs> to undo it for some time now. Yeah. But uh this this crazy like helicopter pilot guy, Ron Watkins and Jim Watkins, they've just bought it. Like him and his son took ownership over HN. And they started, I'm giving you like a really short and sweet uh, summarization of it. This is like the shorter version of it. So they took over and these guys, uh, this dude has made his entire living off of, um, I think, uh, making uncensored pornography for the Japanese audience in the Philippines. Basically, mm-hmm. that's all he does. He lives in the Philippines. This is what he does. It's a good hustle. Yeah. So, that, and, and an honorable cause. if. If you will, I I do think that like there's they gotta do something about the the censored dicks in Japanese porn. Yeah, I mean seriously, I think about it every day. I I like, do too. What I'm does like, the dick look like? I want to know. I want. I need to know. I can't get into it. Do you watch a lot of Japanese porn? No, because of the the censored dicks, and also because the adult actresses. I I feel like are really sad. Like they look actually sad. 
You used to date like a porn star, right? Yeah. So you've been to AVN? Yeah. What'd you think about Wait, it? Wait, I didn't go to AVN. I, I, I've been to uh, Pornhub Awards and like X-Biz. Yeah. And so you've met like those industry people because I went to AVN yeah, yeah. too. I'm, I'm friends with a bunch of porn stars. A lot of them are pretty cool. They're awesome. They're really sick. Yeah. But then every once in a while you meet like a little group of them where you can tell there's like some fucked up like kind of heroin going on like some definitely some like pimping going on not the not the people that i know but the people that i know are not like on the lower end or like on the entry side of the yeah. business for the most part so uh, they're like well-established porn stars and they're well adjusted as a consequence of that or as well adjusted as like everyone is you know yeah but yeah there's definitely uh well in the japanese adult video like jab industry like i think there is definitely a, a lot more um like the type of content that they want out of them is like yeah. really sad. Like they need to be sad and crying and shit. That's I what did. they're into. I can't jerk off to that. No tears for you. Like, listen, I, I, you know, when there's a will, there's a way, but I just, I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. I need the person to look like they're enjoying it. Yeah. And actually <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, man. So going back, I don't know how we got on this, uh, this Japanese porn path, but we were talking <laughs> about some people who own some shit. We were talking about, yeah. oh, yeah, we were talking about uh, cuties, the, the cuties uh, protest. So, so I, I, yeah, I wanted to say something, too, that I noticed at this this protest, right? I think that I would talk to some older ladies who are obviously, like, super Facebook heads, like, conspiracy, like, oh, yeah. Karen types. Yeah. And they would start crying when they were talking about this shit. Yeah. And it made me realize that somehow, one way or another, they saw child porn. You know what I mean? It was, I guess. It was put in front of them somehow on Facebook. And they were extremely disturbed and traumatized by seeing it. Damn, I never thought about it. Like I think that. about that every time I interview them. Something about the way that they start crying, I could tell that they are not, they didn't grow up on 4chan or seeing disturbing imagery. Like, you know, I've seen all the craziest gore videos growing yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on, yeah. uh, what's his, what's it called? Like, I mean, the live leak stuff. Like, Me too. I've, I've seen like a million executions. I've seen every ISIS snuff. video. Fucking, yeah, exactly. I've seen every snuff film there is. Three guys, one hammer. Oh, yeah. I could go on about all the people I've seen murdered on camera. Yeah, but, it's pretty uh, crazy. It's fucked up. And like, I feel like a lot of these people, older, you know, Facebook. I've never style. seen child porn though. I, I've never seen it either. Yeah, except for cuties, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I, I I didn't even watch it, which but is pretty I, funny that they all had. But I think someone is planting imagery in their feed to make them so upset that they need to get to the bottom of something that they're witnessing. I, I can just so? tell. Yeah, they've seen it. They've fucking seen it. I, I think that it's being put in front of them. I think that's why they're so passionate to figure out where it came from, who's doing it. And I think that they get that image-based trauma, and then somehow at the same time, someone hits them with some info and is like, Democrats, they're you know, global that. cabal. Yeah. And then it, they have like this thing that happens, and it's like a trauma reaction to seeing some shit like that. I, I can just tell that they didn't just read something. They saw something and then read something. So we're on board that it's the FBI is what you're saying. I don't know who it is, but it's someone. I mean – yeah. Look, the FBI did run a, uh, a a pedophile ring for an extended period of time mm -hmm. as a as a uh, operation to uh, catch pedophiles. So uh, it would not shock me if that was the case. But no, I, I I think it's probably the same grifters that are then monetizing off of that. Got to be. Yeah. So they're like, look, there's child porn. That's crazy. Like, yeah. Doesn't that anger you? But like, that's so. It's probably not even real child porn. There's no way because like that shit is so insanely illegal. Yeah. That. Um, like, I mean, you get severe punishments for it. Like, you, yeah, you, you fucking shit. Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I don't know if like, 
I don't know how they see the imagery. It's probably like fake stuff that they it's, show. It's, it's fake. I talked to this lady out there and she said that someone showed her, you know, she not, not someone showed her, but she was scrolling on some, some message board and she saw a video of Hillary Clinton with a straight razor just cutting the face off of a child. And I was like, there's no way that's, that's fucking real. But know. like, what do you do with that? Like, how, how is it created in the studio? I don't know, but no, it's, this person these are seen rude. It. These aren't even good, dude. These are like really <laughs> fucking shitty photoshops. I've seen some of them. Like, they're funny. Like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre style yeah. like, effects. Yeah, like they're not even. Like, they're not like applying, you know, yeah. uh, they don't have like makeup artists and shit making this stuff. No, it's just like literally Photoshop and it's not well done either. Mm-hmm. But it's enough for old people to just believe it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of biases that they already hold on to that uh that are are pumped into their fucking brain from fox news too because like fox news doesn't say like you know pedophile democrats yet but they build the foundation for a lot of these people to believe in um for a lot of these people to believe in the the psychotic stuff that they see on their facebook feed because like everyone's lying to you the media is always lying to you except for us we're not lying to you Uh, don't trust the democrats they're evil Mm -hmm. Um, it's like uh, a lot of the conspiracies that Fox News uh, advances are also not necessarily new. Yeah, they're like old school Nazi conspiracies mm-hmm. that have been repackaged as um, you know, a, a, as as we have developed uh, to understand you know what not to say and what yeah. is like a bad idea. Like back then, Nazis used to say cultural Bolshevism. Uh, they would say that. Um, they would say the Jews are responsible for, um, you know, taking over academia mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and feminizing the West and, you know, moving us away from traditional Western values and mm-hmm. destroy Western civilization and also uh, open up our borders so that, uh, you know, black and brown people can come in and uh, repopulate the country and, and do white genocide. That's what they call it. This mm-hmm. is the concept of white genocide, right? That's a Nazi conspiracy. Yeah. But everything I just said is very similar to what Fox News says, except mm-hmm. for the Jew part. Like they will literally take that away and they don't say cultural Bolshevism anymore. Mm-hmm. They say um, cultural Bolshevism. They say cultural Marxism. Mm-hmm. So that's the substitute for it. They say Democrats are for open borders. They don't yeah. say Jews are for open borders. I, I heard Sean Hannity say the word deep state the other day. Yeah. They're saying that shit. That sounds like they're saying yeah. Jews. I mean, I don't know. I, I think with uh, with Israel being so far right under mm-hmm. Bibi Netanyahu for multiple generations at this point, and uh, and uh, having like a I guess common enemy with what the Western world would consider the common enemy, Muslims, uh, they don't really uh, they don't do that as much uh, anymore. That's like real hot. Like you got to be like straight up Nazi, not just like a regular racist. They yeah. just like literally tie it all back to Jews. There's a difference between the alt-light and alt-right. Mm-hmm. The alt-light is like saying exactly the same things that the alt-right is saying, mm-hmm. but then the alt-right is on top of that saying, oh, it's because of the Jews. So that being said, what do you think about the mass deplatforming of people on the right from Twitter and YouTube? Um, I think it's a dangerous precedent for sure. Like I see that, especially because uh whenever they take down far right uh content creators they immediately turn the uh, crosshairs over to the left as well mm-hmm. so as someone who has been deplatformed before by the right mm-hmm. uh for certain things that i've said 
uh, I know what that fear is like, and I totally get that. And it's not like neoliberals are very fond of leftists or socialists either. Mm -hmm. But um, but also the harm is just too great. It's far too great. Like mm -hmm. the 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 harm done by uh, people who purposely spread misinformation is is mm -hmm. far too great. And I say this as someone who loves consuming this shit. I consume right. it nonstop. I find it really funny. I find it uh, hilarious. I find it entertaining. It's more entertaining than any number of like uh, liberal comedy uh, writers could get together in the comedy rooms and like try to write something out. Like you'll never be as funny as like a regular Republican dude. In the who are, your, who are your top three right wingers? My top three right wingers right now that I watch. I mean, it probably Stephen Crowder, Ben Shapiro, and then um, who else do I watch? Who else do I love watching? I don't know. I just like watching regular people. Yeah, like I watch. I love watching the real people that have been, mm. you know, brain poisoned by those other dipshits. But don't you feel like when when you take someone off of a, a mainstream platform like YouTube and you push them into something like Parler, that the echo chamber that they've created for themselves just gets smaller and smaller and allows that misinformation that maybe was once open to public debate to just multiply and get crazier and crazier. So yes and no. Um, because deplatforming does work. If it didn't work, these people would not be fucking crying about it nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like deplatforming absolutely does work. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos is a great example of this. Yeah. Alex Jones is another pretty good example of this, even though he's trying to make a comeback now, mm -hmm. slowly but surely. Um, but it is very successful at like yeah. limiting the spread of that information. While the people that remain and the mm -hmm. people that follow through are like going to be the zealots, they're going to be really into it and they might even get further radicalized. That's a, it's a realistic fear that people have. Um, the the far the utilitarian thing to do in that circumstance is deplatforming because it is successful. Mm -hmm. The best thing is for them to stop being pieces of shit. I mean, really, mm -hmm. like just stop fucking spreading, purposely spreading insane conspiracy theories that end up with your followers following through on them in violent ways, like you know the Sandy Hook families getting harassed by Alex Jones fans. Like that's that's so unacceptable it's illegal like that should mm -hmm. be illegal it's insane that it's not but um but uh in the absence of like uh, material solutions i feel like you know a more robust uh education platform or um you know better critical thinking skills that people learn mm -hmm. uh in the absence of all that like this is a again a band-aid solution yeah. it's it's successful it's not good and uh, it doesn't make me feel good. It, I, I'm fearful that uh, it comes back around to people like myself quite frequently because we are not inside of the comfortable neoliberal bubble either. Yeah. And um, can you tell me about a time that you've been deplatformed? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> this is really funny. We were just looking at this the other day, but uh, I looked at Google Trends uh, or someone made a meme about Google Trends. In my community, 821 is a big meme. Mm -hmm. they, they, they always talk about August 21st, 2019. I was watching the Joe Rogan, Dan Crenshaw podcast. Dan Crenshaw is talking about uh, endless war and how like it has to be, it's a necessity. It has to keep happening because mm. they hate us because they hate us. And uh, that's why we need to have 267 plus military bases that we know of all around the world because these people just hate us. And that's not the case. It, these people hate us because we fucking killed them. And I was talking about 9-11 specifically, mm -hmm. and uh, that got uh, misconstrued. And I didn't word it as uh, well as I could. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when I got deplatformed. That's when I got uh, seven weeks uh, of a ban on Twitch. And I didn't even know if I could ever come back, actually. Like at the time, I thought it was an indefinite suspension. I was like, and that wasn't even uh, my biggest issue. My biggest issue is that I was getting a sea of death threats. What exactly um, did you say about 9 11? I said America deserved 9 11. And then I said, what am I saying? That's because uh, then immediately people are like, mm -hmm. oh, no, you said that you're going to get fucking, you know, you're going to get clapped because yeah. of it. It's like, what am I saying that's wrong? We absolutely armed the same people that ended up doing 9-11. Like, we armed them, we trained them, and then they did 9-11. And uh, not only that, but we destabilized that entire region for decades mm -hmm. after we armed and trained those uh, very same people um, that turned into the Taliban, the Mujahideen that turned into the Taliban because they were mm -hmm. fighting the USSR at the time, and, and Osama bin Laden whose family is very wealthy as a consequence of like American contracts mm -hmm. and uh, and literally got that training from America and got guns mm -hmm. from America that then turned around and turned their crosshairs over to America because uh, it wasn't the USSR anymore that mm -hmm. uh, was uh, killing their uh, people, I guess, in their mind. Do you still think that the U.S. deserved 9-11? I don't think the U.S. deserved 9-11 is the right way to put it. Like, I don't think 3,000 people deserve to die. They're innocent people. Yeah, of course, they don't fucking deserve that's crazy it's a horrific tragedy obviously it's one of those things that you say where you're like everyone is already on board with that like everyone knows it. it's like saying pedophilia is bad <laughs> you know what i mean like you don't have to say that for people to know like that's the assumption that everyone knows yeah. but because i'm leftist and i'm muslim mm -hmm. it was easy for people to be like oh this guy fucking loves al-qaeda <laughs> like <laughs> he loves 9-11 um but no i i I didn't even apologize for it. I, I clarified exactly what I meant. Mm -hmm. And I had clarified in that video exactly what I meant. If you, the video that went around was, I think, like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. But the actual fucking statement, if you go like 14, 15 seconds in, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because mm -hmm. I immediately clarify it. Mm -hmm. But no, they were like, nope, you said it came out of your mouth. Yeah. This is you. Which is funny. But like. Uh, even the next day, I was like, nothing I said is controversial. Yeah. And I still don't think it's it's controversial. I, I, we absolutely fucking trained these people. We fucked over their uh, lands. We destabilized it, uh, their entire lands. Why are we surprised? We didn't even collaborate amongst intelligence communities when there was credible threats that some violent retaliation might, may occur on U.S. homeland. Mm -hmm. So, like, we literally fucked up on every part of this. But because it's uh, understandably such a, a, a tragic incident where so many innocent people died that, like, people refuse to look at, uh, people refuse to look at it uh, in a serious manner. Like, so whenever you got deplatformed, did you feel like a sense of rage toward Twitch or did you understand why it happened to you? No, I understand why it happened. I, yeah. I understand. They are, they don't want to have bad press. Like, it sucks, but... They don't want to have bad press. They don't want to have uh, some fucking uh, dude running around and, and, you know, disparaging or tarnishing the brand yeah. of the platform. Mm -hmm. This is just the system that we exist under. So there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. I also said some stuff about Dan Crenshaw. That was really, uh, that really triggered a lot of people. What'd you say about Dan Crenshaw, man? Did you um, do, do it worse than Pete Davidson or what? Yes. What'd you say about Dan Crenshaw, you man? You didn't know any of this? Dude, I'm fucking, I'm here for it. What happened? Oh, Jesus. Okay. So, um, Dan Crenshaw is a Navy SEAL. I think he has a purple heart. He has a war injury, as you all know, which I, I think is a cool war injury for sure. Like, it looks very cool. 
we are we are in agreement that eye patches look cool, right? Yeah, they're fucking sick. I wish I had one. Okay, good. So that's uh, we're on board with that. Good. Um, so um, when he was talking about the endless need for bloodshed that has uh, caused tremendous strain on American veterans and uh, and American people, before we even calculate, because most people don't even give a shit about the millions of dead Iraqi uh, kids and and families and Afghan families, obviously. But even before, even if you don't care about that, 6,000 American men and women have died in the past 20 years that we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan. 6,000, 22 veterans commit suicide every single day. So there is tremendous amount of harm from the, the uh, endless war that America engages in, mm-hmm. specifically for the military industrial complex's better interests, specifically so that you know, we can extract natural resources from these countries because we benefit from that death and destabilization. So when I saw a person who had been gravely injured himself mm-hmm. um, and, and got emotional, as I've said before, uh, I, I said that uh, didn't a uh, Mujahideen uh, give you that injury by skull fucking you, mm. basically, and yet you're still... You personally got gravely injured, and yet you still are advocating to send more people uh, overseas. I admit, not the best wording. Yeah, the timing. Probably not. <laughs> the timing. But the brave Mujahideen is a direct uh, line from Rambo, and it's a. It was maybe it was too deep, or mm-hmm. uh, it was too many layers deep for people to immediately comprehend. Mm-hmm. Because I was directly referencing uh, Reagan dealing with the Mujahideen, yeah. which then turned into the Taliban, as I mentioned already. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the other part of this uh, problem is that uh, Dan Crenshaw himself personally continues to arm uh, Saudi Arabians. There was a veto mm-hmm. to stop. There was a bill to stop the sales of arms to Saudi Arabia currently. Saudi Arabia, the kingdom... And auxiliary families in the in the kingdom were uh, were were funding and facilitating the, the hijackers on 9/11. Not the Saudi Kingdom directly, but uh, they were very connected. They're homies. All the people were. Uh, I think it was what 15 hijackers were Saudi uh, na- uh, nationals. So they were literally from Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So was Osama bin Laden. And and the arms that were still selling to Saudi Arabia that they're purchasing, that they're using in Yemen right now, in the ongoing genocide that's happening in Yemen currently, those arms have literally went back to Al-Qaeda. It's well documented. Like, this is not like Alex Jones level, I got the documents. This is like CNN shit. Like, you can go on CNN and Google Al-Qaeda arms, uh, you know, American arms in the hands of Mm Al-Qaeda in Yemen, and you will see that we are still literally giving guns to the people that did fucking 9-11. So when I see a, a veteran who has personally sacrificed, who got uh, gravely injured, mm-hmm. turning around and, and justifying further uh, bloodshed and sending young boys and girls overseas to go and get fucked up and come back and not be able to, ha- not be, able to be the same person ever again, mm-hmm. um, exclusively so the American war machine continues, I- I'm disgusted. I think that is infinitely worse than any number of bad no-no words that you could say. Mm -hmm. I was being uncivil, certainly. 
but nothing is less civil than the continuation of bloodshed in this way and the justification for it in the silliest ways possible. So I, I just, I can never comprehend how someone who personally sacrificed, who experienced that personal sacrifice, who knows that so many families will never see their children ever again, can then not be a, a, an avid anti-war activist. And there are plenty of incredible veterans out there, especially in my community, um, and, and incredible veteran organizations like mm -hmm. Left, Fan, uh, Left Flank and About Face, and so many um, uh, anti-war veteran uh, organizations out there that have mm -hmm. the fuckload of these guys who understand the severity and understand the damage and try to fight back against it. Did Crenshaw ever reach out to you and be like, hey man, what the fuck? Not to me personally, no. He went on a media tour and uh, cried on Fox News. About every... what you said? Well, he said, fuck, man. I'm so triggered. He said, oh, no God. Way. He said, oh, God, he's so triggered. Look at how Damn. triggered he is. Meanwhile, he went on every, every Fox News program. He was on Tucker Carlson. He wasn't on it, but Tucker Carlson covered it. Laura Ingram covered it. Uh, Fox and Friends covered it in the morning. There was mm -hmm. a point in that morning when I was waiting. I was like, oh, no, like Donald Trump might tweet about this. Holy shit. That was genuinely scary. That was yeah. the that was the only time when I was like, fuck. If Donald Dude. Trump watches his Fox and Friends coverage and tweets about it, I'm done. Like I will get killed. I will get murdered. You think so? Um, I mean, people still tell me that they're gonna murder me. How often do you get death threats? Now it's it's definitely uh it's definitely a lot less. Every now and then it still comes out. Whenever there's like a press, uh whenever there's like media around me, like you know, right wingers will relitigate that because you know they hate cancel culture, but they fucking love doing it to the left. Um, they'll always be like, "Oh, Hassan played with AOC." Well, this guy said America deserved nine eleven. He loves nine eleven. He fucking <laughs> he's the biggest fan of nine eleven. This guy. Uh, hey, what are you doing? You know, uh, and then and then I'll I'll immediately get like my inbox full of like, "I'll fuck you, you fucking Muslim sand and word piece oh, of man. shit." And fucking, I'm gonna skull fuck your mom stuff like that that sucks dude yeah i mean i'm used to it like yeah i haven't done shit yeah it's fucked in the head so like you grew up in turkey right yeah like were you born there i was born here my anchor baby so you went to turkey for how long i grew up in turkey my entire life until mm -hmm. i was 18 and then i came to america when i was 18 oh damn so you're like hella turkish yeah like like you still have a bunch of homies out there yeah Word. well the thing is my whole family's there still too um the thing is like i am um i'm a amira boo you know i don't know uh like <laughs> you know how uh anime fans are called weebs like mm. weebos i am a weeb for america i love american culture i consumed it like crazy when i was mm -hmm. growing up i always wanted to come to america go to college here you know that was my dream people were like i want to be an astronaut i want to be an engineer and i was like no i want to go to college in america you went to Rutgers in New Jersey? I went to Miami first and then Rutgers. Oh, after. shit. What do you like better, Miami or Jersey? Oh, Miami for sure. Debatable. Um, really? No. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Were you in a frat? I was, yeah. How was that? Um, it was, it was exactly what I expected it. I, it was yeah. the American experience. Like, I wanted that. Mm -hmm. I wanted the American frat experience, bro. <laughs> and I got it. And, um, you know, I, I had fun. So at what point did your political consciousness start, start like forming in the way that, that it is now? Um, Have you always been like on this similar like leftist wave or was there a moment in your life where you were like, you know what, this is how I feel. So I, I come from an affluent background. Mm -hmm. um, my parents are, are no longer as wealthy as they were. My dad and my mom both are academics now. Mm -hmm. So, but um, 
but in the beginning they were uh, they definitely gave me a really comfortable upbringing affluent upbringing mm -hmm. but at some point my dad was like i don't know why i did this he's like i'm gonna take you out of private school i'm gonna put you in public school and uh, i think it was in third grade mm -hmm. and i was like okay i guess but like public school in america is one thing very different than public school in turkey like better or worse in turkey oh like i mean depending on what area you're in and stuff but like no like you're, you're in istanbul no i was in Ankara okay. at this point right. i had moved from istanbul to Ankara. Mm -hmm. but like public school in in and this was still a relatively nice neighborhood but like public school is public school you have to fight kids on the yard yes oh is that why you started lifting uh no i was oh, okay. i was a chubby kid until like college um for real yeah, I was really fat until college. How fat were you in high school? Um, pretty porkly. I, I, I get believe me too, bro. I'll pull up yeah. a picture. We'll pull up a picture. I I had yeah. like the braces. I'd wear like giant big horse polos and like yeah. Air Jordans. I, I was like very yeah. <laughs> I didn't have drip like that either. What was your swag like back when you were like porky? Well, out? we had to wear uh, uniforms anyway. Okay, cool. But, um, but yeah, I went to public school and they literally like there was a I was going to school with. You know the gardener's son all of a sudden mm -hmm. and that's when i realized like oh shit like not everybody lives the way that i live what the fuck this is crazy and then one of the kids in public school fucking hated me and he like he <laughs> after school uh we would fuck around and you know sometimes we'd fight and stuff and it mm -hmm. wasn't that big of a deal there was this one kid named satchuk still remember piece of shit Fuck you, dude. Uh, yeah, no, fuck him. Like, for real. Yeah. And I used to walk home from school every day. You know, there's stray dogs. You got to run away from that. You know, there's a path that you got to go through. Mm -hmm. It's like a 25, 30-minute walk. Um, And this dude, like, uh, I, I fought him. Uh, you know, the fight broke up. Mm -hmm. I, I'm walking back home. And this dude started following me. And he had a knife. And... He was very upset with me that he hated that, uh, you know, these other people were more accepting of me than they should be. Um, and he, he threatened to kill me. And I was, I mean, I don't know if he was actually going to do it. He's a kid. You never know. Kids but are you crazy. Never know. Yeah, exactly. Kids are fucked. Like, I don't know what the fuck he's doing now. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him, but he was, he was basically threatening me and I was trying to deescalate like, and I was just trying to like walk slowly but surely just mm -hmm. like walking on my path like you know don't do this blah 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 all this stuff and he was just still threatening me and and you know following me and you know de-escalating 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 and luckily my mom was waiting outside because she was worried she was like what the fuck you're not home yet like mm -hmm. you're supposed to be home and uh she yelled at him and he ran away what'd she yell at him I don't remember what she said. She was like, what are you doing? Where are you? Hassan? Like, she, I don't even think she fully understood what was going on. She was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you so late? Like, she was yelling at me. And then he ran away. Mm -hmm. um, the next day, we went to school. The principal and everyone knew. The principal pulled him in front of everyone, in front of the school, because he did that. Mm -hmm. Like, And he, he, he pulled his ear in front of everyone. This is like, you know, we did corporal punishment in school yeah, yeah. Really quite frequently uh, when I was growing up. Pulled him in front of every single person in school and made him cry and apologize to me. Mm. 
I should probably be a little bit more traumatized by that. And now that I think about it, but anyway, the, the reason which part I'm, getting followed or like seeing your bully? Cry? No, 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 not to see my bully cry. That was fucking awesome. I, that sounds tight. I'm yeah, like, no, it's that the was opposite sick. of traumatizing. Yeah, no, that was sick. Yeah. Maybe that's why I wasn't traumatized. Yeah. Um, no, the the knife part, but mm-hmm. um, but that is where I truly understood, or at least saw the the um, the consequences of economic inequality, mm-hmm. like. That was when I started developing my opinions. But uh, yeah, that's that's where it started in like mm-hmm. middle school. Went back to private school, was bullied a lot there too, but uh, this time by you know, rich kids mm. for being weird and you know playing Defense of the Ancients. And, mm-hmm. Is that uh, a video game? Uh, Dota. It's a MOBA game. <clears throat> Old game. It doesn't even exist anymore. There's like a second version of it. I never even played it. But and I used to draw. I used to draw like crazy. I love drawing. So mm-hmm. that's all I would do is just like fucking sit by myself and draw for hours, you know? And uh, and I think that's that's it. That's where I saw the differences in uh, people's backgrounds and, and the mm-hmm. consequences of economic inequality, like the way that they live in comparison to the way that some of these other kids that I went to high school with in private school, the way that they lived is, is really crazy. Yeah. And so, so whenever you got got to the U.S., like, how did you apply that economic inequality that you learned in, in Turkey to the, the framework of American society? Well, in America, there's a lot of economic inequality too, but it's nothing like Turkey. It's worse out there. Yeah, of course. It's pretty yeah. fucking bad here too, though, bro. I it's mean, pretty bad here, yeah. but it's but like even even like uh, it, you know, if we're talking about middle class or like lower middle class, like mm-hmm. working poor. Like even like retail employees and stuff here, like still have it relatively better off than in Turkey, depending yeah. on what part of the country you're living in, because it's still developing. It's not as yeah. like you don't have that same base level. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages because, you know, there's public health, for example, public health care, free college, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, like I said, it's still a developing country. But the way I applied it here is again, I went from University of Miami being surrounded by rich kids to a state school at Rutgers, mm. which is still pretty fucking expensive, uh, regardless, because college is really expensive. But um, I think that, uh, again, further solidified uh, the, I guess the disdain I had for like really rich kids. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Maybe. So at what point did you start, I guess, commentating? Um, I started after college. Okay. Like uh, I started after college, I started, I didn't even start with, uh, with commentary at all. I, I was doing advertisement sales, like the Young Turks needed uh, someone to do direct sales. they had never had one. Ever. And you, did your uncle hook that up for you? Yeah. I mean, okay. this is, it was a tiny yeah. YouTube. It was like a 26 person YouTube uh, channel. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah, like yeah, the yeah. robust media operation that people think it is. It's not like it was giving me a job at CNN. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't even paying me anything. He was paying me very little at the time. I was getting paid like twenty-one or twenty-two thousand dollars a year my first year. That's what I made. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy. Um, and I was living in the fucking kitchen of a frat house so that I could live for free. It was it was not great. You were <laughs> sleeping on the ground of a kitchen. No, uh, the kitchen in this frat <laughs> I was house. Like, Damn, mom, you could do better than that. No, no, no. <laughs> in the, the kitchen of this frat house had um, had like a chef's room, I guess. Yeah. And it it was one of the only rooms in the house that had its own bathroom. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'll just live there. Uh, like, this is, 
I mean, it was gross. That sounds hella gross. It's so gross. It was one of the weirdest. Like, it was it was definitely not the greatest experience. I'll tell you that. But uh, it was free, and uh, on top of that, I was getting paid to like restart the chapter there uh, at UCLA. So I was like, you know, yeah, fucking do it, sure. So beyond your understanding of inequality, did academia play a role in the development of your political consciousness? No. No? No, because academia doesn't really give you a, a materialist understanding of the world. Like you don't Dude, learn it's about real, it's bad. You don't you don't learn about uh, like Marxism yeah. at all. It's completely outside of like mainstream economics. And mm -hmm. it's on purpose, I think. So it's unless you like literally purposely go into it. Um, because you started maybe watching me and you were like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I want to do more and like learn about this more. And there's mm -hmm. like very few like famous, uh, famous, uh, Marxist economists in American universities anyway, mm -hmm. which is of course ironic because like, you know, uh, Republicans always say like colleges are making you gay and Marxists like making you gay. Like, you know, I'm <laughs> exaggerating. What you so what is the, the, the Marxist economic model for those who don't know? What is the Marxist economic model? Mm -hmm. You're, you're asking me to describe dialectical materialism? Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So the way that, uh, the way that societies develop are developed around a mode of production, like our culture and everything, our understanding is developed around the way we produce things, the way we produce commodities. Okay. And under capitalism, uh, we produce commodities in the way that there are workers and then there, is, there are those who own capital. I'm being really reductive here. There's an inherent contradiction within capitalism, however, the capitalist organization of the economy. That inherent contradiction can be ex explained as easily as this. Uh, if you've ever worked in a retail job or if you've ever worked a job at all. I used to work at Yogurtland. Okay, perfect. So when you worked at Yogurtland, just sucked you wanted to exactly you wanted to work the least amount of hours for the most amount of pay like that's what your self-interest is yeah i was getting free samples the whole time too yeah <laughs> well you want to work the yes. least amount of hours for the most amount of pay right yes. but your boss the mr yogurt land ceo mm. of yogurt land <laughs> okay or your manager who's expressing the interest of your boss at the time wanted you to work the most amount of hours for the least amount of pay like as little as they can pay you right that is the inherent contradiction that exists under uh, capitalism, under the capitalist organization of the economy. And unfortunately, because of the way profit works, which uh, dictates that all of your labor, the surplus value of your labor that you give to the company is uh, considered profit. And that profit is accumulating at the top always. So wealth gets accumulated at the top. So those who want you to work the most amount of hours with the least amount of pay end up having all of the power mm -hmm. and all of the money. So what do they do with that profit? They go out and they build institutions. They build colleges. They build media. They build everything. They build police forces. And they, they uh, build governments and politicians. And they normalize this uh, organization of the economy. And uh, that's why it sounds crazy when i describe that a different way could be possible mm -hmm. a more democratized uh, workplace could be possible it's so normalized that you never even consider how authoritarian your workplace is adults spend 80 percent of their lives in workplaces and yet they expect it to be authoritarian 
As a matter of fact, it's crazier if uh, someone says, like, why don't we just democratize this a little bit? Like, mm-hmm. why can't we bargain? So what, what, what does that look like for a workplace? Let's say we're talking about a, uh, a fine dining restaurant, whereas half the people are in the kitchen making nothing, wearing scrubs. Half the people are busting their ass on the floor. Then there's the douchey general manager. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I had a general manager named Steven Schnell who'd wear an all-white tuxedo. Yeah, fuck he, you, Steven. He looked like fucking... Uh, was hey, it Kurt? Land? No, no, no. This is a restaurant called oh. Bourbon. <laughs> I'm just... I'm just picturing no. this dude at Yogurt Land with <laughs> all white tux like, hello. <laughs> no, so Stephen Schnell would come in. He had Free a, samples for you. He had a convertible. He'd always be with a stripper in an all white tuxedo. And he would come in and he would, Alex Jones style, explode and be like, fuck, 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 fuck. And we'd be like, Stephen, what? And he's like, there's not enough people at this restaurant right now. He's like, this is goddamn empty. And he'd be like, Andrew, go out on Bourbon Street and get some fucking people in here. And I would cower in fear a little bit because I had to make as much money as I possibly could. And so Stephen Schnell, like, you wouldn't even know he was there. And it'd be, it'd be rush hour and some, like, poor waitress would drop a plate on the ground. And it would shatter. And no one would know Stephen was there. He would fucking be summoned from the depths of hell and sprint up in his white tuxedo and be like, you fucking retard! Yeah. <laughs> and people would be like, oh, my God. And then... uh yeah, Stephen was like a real oppressive dictator of this low-level restaurant in New Orleans. And I'll never forget the fear that he installed in the hearts of the, the employees who worked there for so little money. Yeah. What does a democratized Stephen Schnell look like to you? It's like, it's how you would theoretically operate a democracy if our democracy in the way that it works and the government worked well. Mm-hmm. You fucking vote for a Stephen Schnell in your workplace. You guys all have... Mm-hmm. Uh, ownership over the means of production because that workplace is nothing without you. Yeah. Steven Schnell can go the fuck away and that workplace would still operate perhaps even better. But people right? get people get power drunk though. So let's say you had this cool ass coworker. Yeah, that's why you got to distribute power. That's what I'm trying to say. But okay, theoretically, I'm just trying to okay. put us back in the restaurant here. I got a cool ass coworker. His name was uh, Harry. Harry was the fucking man. He went to LSU. He was kind of fratted out, but also pretty cool. Big Lil Wayne fan. He was the man, like number one MVP of the workplace. Like he was the kind of guy that would show up and people would be like, Harry's in the house. Yeah. Let's say we all voted for Harry to take Steven Schnell's role. How are we going to keep these those checks and balances to make sure that Harry doesn't become an oppressive dictator like Steven? What are we going to do? When Harry becomes an oppressive dictator every year or every quarter, you, you uh, check him. You make sure that he's not being an oppressive dictator. How? What do you mean? You vote him out. But, but then what if the next person... Then you vote them out too. It, but what if pretty, every person's just a here's dick? Here's the difference. It, it, okay. Here's the difference. <laughs> yeah. You have no say in what happens. Like, I'm not saying this magically destroys inequality mm-hmm. or this magically destroys oppression. I'm simply stating that, like, at least you have a way to enforce accountability, whereas you have no way to infor- uh, enforce accountability on Stephen Schnell. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I do see what you mean. Because Stephen Schnell is is a a your boss. Like mm-hmm. he was the the actual big boss, the mm-hmm. owner of capital in that circumstance, hired him to be your boss yeah. and to express his interests. So there's no fucking way. It's a complete uh disoriented uh, unequal power structure where you have no say. Mm-hmm. And worst of all, this is your only form of income. And if you don't do this, you're going to fucking die. You can't put shelter over your head. Yeah. You can't put fucking clothes on your back. You can't put food on your table. Mm-hmm. And that's the fear that 
keeps you from, uh, you know, saying, fuck you, Stephen, and, and peacing out. And then on the other end, do you feel like the fear, you know, that Stephen could be ousted if he's a, a dick would create a balance of, of power where he would be scared exactly. to be a dick because he knows that and, he could be fucking kicked out on any. And, and most importantly, like, like, the thing is, I mean, this is, uh, I think this is Mark Fisher who said this, but it's, it's, uh, it's harder to imagine. It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism mm -hmm. because that's how well it, it has been instilled in us. Like it's a part of our identity. Like, and you know, what do we think of capitalism? We think of like the iPhone, like all this technological innovation mm -hmm. where there that's equal parts publicly researched, uh, publicly funded research that, uh, the iPhone works off of. And also, uh, I guess capitalism on top of that as well. It's just a, but the issue is, that um because of that mentality when we think about uh reorganizing the workplace in some uh, in in a different capacity in the way that i'm explaining it like everyone always thinks okay so the janitor is the ceo now it's like no dude <laughs> like yeah it's not a singular person <laughs> who makes like all yeah. the decisions like we can't even we can't even rid ourselves of uh, of, of imagining a world where like there has to be one guy and he's God. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's my work God. And he says everything that he, he wants to do. And I have to follow that to a T mm -hmm. or else, you know, work God will get mad and I will no longer have a job and I'm fucked. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be that way. What about Venezuela? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I, Every I, fucking time. No, it's funny because like Venezuela has, or at least had back in like, I think 2014, uh, one of the last times uh, that uh, there's like this data that's available before, mm -hmm. you know, complete economic collapse um, for other reasons than socialism bad. Venezuela had less, uh, less, uh, Venezuela had a higher uh, level of privatization than France. All Venezuela did that is regarded as a no-no, a big no-no by America is nationalize its uh, extraction industry country that has done that and is very successful that we uh, routinely avoid uh, talking about uh, is Norway. Uh, and, and even beyond what Venezuela has done, Norway has nationalized all of its extraction, its oil, and also its forests. So that's, that's all Venezuela did. Difference is when Norway nationalizes extraction industry, America can't go and do a coup. Right. Or America can't go and be like, well, fuck off. We were actually taking all the oil from you. So fuck you. You're not allowed to do that. They can do that to Iran. We yeah. did that to Iran. Um, and they can do that to Venezuela. And if Chavez is too powerful before Maduro was Chavez mm -hmm. and, and refuses to bend the knee and refuses to privatize and, and starts increasing literacy rates all around the country, starts like building out a, a more egalitarian society with mm -hmm. all of the uh, resources that they have because they certainly had a lot of riches for to do that um and because of that he's too popular then you just say all right fuck you you guys are terrorists we're shutting you out from the global marketplace mm -hmm. and that's exactly what they did they tried to kill him multiple times and also uh, put sanctions on venezuela and made it so that anyone who touches them or anyone who even does business with them mm -hmm. will see the long dick of the law Law being the long dick of, of the law, yeah, in the United States of America, yeah. So, going back to you know, leftist governments in your mind, when you look at you know, all of them throughout history, what do you think is the most successful or exemplary 
application of Marxist theory in a, a, a doctrine or any sort of government? Um, I don't think there is one, if we're being honest. I, I think that there hasn't ever been a purely capitalist society, and I think there hasn't been a purely socialist or Marxist society either. Um, I guess maybe Cuba. But again, it's not exactly a, a, a beacon of health and prosperity because of the same things that I just mentioned with Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Anytime Latin American countries decide to democratically do socialism or oust their previous dictatorships that literally had fucking plantations and slaves and stuff yeah. and were torturing folks. Anytime that happens, America's like, no, fuck you, dude. Yeah, no more goods for you. Yeah, no more. You, you, you're you're <coughs> fucking cut out and we'll do everything we can to like, you know, oust you and we'll do everything we can to kill you. You want to hear, you want to hear a Cuba story? So whenever I was 20, I really wanted to, I was living in New Orleans, right? And I just got done with my sophomore year of college. I wanted to go somewhere like really bad. I wanted to go anywhere. So I, I want to get away from Steve as, as quickly as Steve and Chanel. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get away from him. And I was like, I want to go somewhere like sick. So I booked this $300 one way ticket to Havana, Cuba. I had to go to Miami, then to Havana. I pull up with a credit card. I thought that I could be able to use it there. No, I was, I was by myself and very unprepared. And so I went there. I had a great time, but I got sun poisoning. And I ultimately was just like puking all the time. And it was just terrible. So I was by myself. I ran out of money. I couldn't get a flight home. I was stuck in Havana for three months by myself when I was like 19 or something like that. That's awesome. It was fucking awesome. I befriended this chicken stand owner named Augustine. And all he would do is like watch porn all day. And I was just like, awesome. we need fried chicken. And Wait, how the watch fuck did he porn. watch porn? Oh, like they have internet out there. Well, I know they have internet, but like it's it's limited, isn't it? You can go to these places called Wi-Fi parks in the city. You know about this shit? It'd be like, yeah. It's usually like run by like Nigerian fools. Somehow, I don't know how, how that's happening. But you go up there and you go Wi-Fi. You give them five bucks. They give you a code. You got to stand by a tree where they have hidden Wi-Fi. You sit there. You get to use it. So they'll download porn at the Wi-Fi park, take it back to the house. It would just be like four fools like playing dominoes, watching porn, eating fried chicken, drinking rum. I did this for like four months, three months. It's the life, dude. So... That, that embargo shit or whatever you call it, like banning goods from going to Cuba is crazy because like it used to be illegal to wear like American imagery on your T-shirt. Like you couldn't wear like a, a picture of Michael Jordan up until a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Or that was seen as by the Cuban police as like anti-revolutionary. So they would just fuck with you and harass you and make you take it off. So I was trying to find a thrift store because I was sweating through all my clothes. They don't really have thrift stores out there because... You know, it's Cuba, so there's no good. Everything is thrift. <laughs> yeah, everything. There's no like sick ass like vintage store like Echo Park style shit. So I'm mobbing around and I asked these kids my age. I'm like, yo, where can I go to a thrift store? And they were like, we're going to show you some shit that you can't find anywhere else. So I follow these three Cuban kids into a basement with like a jail cell, like sliding door. They pull back this jail cell then pull back a red curtain. And there's just three racks of T-shirts. And on one rack is just photos of Justin Bieber, like a square cutout, pixelated image like that. But just imagine like a white t-shirt with like a one by one, like image of Bieber mm-hmm. and then an image of Michael Jackson, then an image of Chris Brown. And I was like, do you guys have any other shirts? They're like, nah, just these three. And I was like, I don't want to buy these. And these kids were like, you can't get these shirts anywhere else in Havana. I was like, how much are they? They were like a hundred dollars what and i was like oh they were trying to fuck you because you're american they were trying to finesse me but it made me realize like holy shit like that distance has created an obsession with pop culture in america that's the biggest problem that i mean riots occurred in in uh east germany back in back under the ussr directly as a consequence of that over coffee like 
that is one area where capitalism has excelled because they do not care about uh, exploiting the global south and commodity production is huge. It's important. The, the freedom that you feel like the, the false uh, freedom that you feel when you have 38 different brands of Oreos, like that's what made me love America when oh, I was a so kid. Fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. I, I love like ask any foreigner. They'll tell you like any immigrant will tell you they love going. I love going to CVS. My favorite fucking thing. Oh dude, that's crazy. Cause when I was in Cuba, I was eating every day at these state sanctioned cafeterias. Same thing every day, unseasoned rice and beans, pulled pork, and like a couple mangoes. So yeah. the reason, but the reason why that exists, the reason why that exists in Cuba is not necessarily because of socialism, but directly because of, uh, of, of them being shut out from the global economy. Same with the rigorous enforcement of like no American imagery or whatever the fuck, and mm-hmm. because they're in some respects, understandably fearful of America trying to fucking mm-hmm. come in and like, you know, fuck shit up and uh, and privatize their country and turn it into Chile, mm-hmm. uh, basically, which is what they did. Yeah. Uh, the, the original 9-11 is uh, is uh, the coup d'etat in Chile that ended up uh, ousting in, uh, Salvador Allende's regime and, and ending it in its entirety. Like and now Chile is constantly uh, constantly struggling and, and pushing back. They just uh, they should have a referendum on the constitution to change it. Uh, and, um, that is directly because, uh, America involved themselves in, in Chile and wanted to make sure that they did not have a socialist uh, country. That's what we do. But that's precisely why Cuba yeah. is like that, uh, rigorous and that, like, uh, uh, that heavy with its enforcement of yeah. um, imagery. It, it was stuff. fucking, and gnarly. it's not good. It's terrible. It's I think it's bad. a terrible thing to Dude, do. Dude, when I got back to the Miami airport after being stuck in Havana for three months, I literally cried at the Hudson News because I was so excited by how many products there were. I was getting muscle milk and gummy worms and bugles and shit, just crying yeah. of happiness. It was yeah. fucking crazy. No, I, I, I know what that's. I mean, Turkey's not like Cuba, obviously, at all. But uh, we don't have that same divert. We did not when I was growing up mm-hmm. have that same diversity of products. So like, I loved them. Like. One of my fondest memories is just like I spent a lot of when I when I would come here to America in the summers and whatnot, I would just spend my entire entire summer at Borders back when it existed. Oh, that that shit was dope. Yeah, reading comic books. I was like, this is free. Like, I, there's so many comic books that I can read for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't free, but I was just like sitting there and reading it all day mm-hmm. and uh, drinking Seattle's best uh, insane like thousand calorie frappuccinos. Mm-hmm. And something that I always remember is like something that I always cherish as a memory is like going to the Walgreens mm-hmm. with my grandfather on Sundays when he was get the paper and I would get these bottled Starbucks Frappuccinos. You know what I'm talking about? Hell yeah. Yeah. Like that did not exist in Turkey. Starbucks was not even in Turkey at the time. So I was like, this is the greatest thing. This is the most incredible thing. And um, yeah, that's, that's really impactful. Like I think that um, whatever system uh, uh inevitably uh follows because i don't think capitalism can continue for as long as mm-hmm. it did and it's not it hasn't been that long since we had capitalism right um whatever system that takes its place is going to definitely not uh it cannot undermine the the very human need for starbucks frappuccinos and Dude, and we, diversity we, of product we fucking love goods yeah i do I mean, that's the whole point. Like, it's true. There is a reason why these people are 
fucking sitting outside of uh, Applebee's with their AR-15s, right? Like, there's a reason why they were losing <laughs> their minds, like, saying, like, no, no, we got to reopen the economy, brother. I got to get a haircut. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you yeah. know, in Michigan and shit. Liberate Michigan. Because that's the only thing they have. Mm-hmm. Because if we are all basically like fucking feudal peasants even though we are the labor aristocracy in comparison to like a child laborer in indonesia Mm -hmm. we still with respect to the rest of america or even the rest of the western world like um don't really have it all that great there's constant economic anxiety fear Mm -hmm. of like your future you might lose alienation from your labor Mm -hmm. you know working under dipshits like steven and uh, and all of that like that's a daily part of your life that's a natural occurrence so the only thing the only escape that you have from that is the only thing that makes it worth it in your eyes and in the eyes of many people is going to fucking applebee's and eating you know five dollar jalapeno poppers do you like applebee's i mean it's all right what about cracker barrel all of that's good everything is good to me like american food in that way is, is so crazy to me do you like applesauce no oh man i love it I don't like applesauce. I don't like cranberry. I don't like cranberry either on Thanksgiving. Oh, it is, today's Thanksgiving. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Thanksgiving? Um, I like it as a as a foreigner point of view. I, I like. Uh, I think Americans have really cool holidays. Like Thanksgiving's history is, of course, horrific and yeah. whitewashing indigenous genocide. But like the way that Thanksgiving is 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 expressed i guess or Mm -hmm. is experienced by um so many people is is great you get together with your family and you Mm -hmm. you eat uh some very weird food for me it's really weird you're eating turkey with like this thing called stuffing which looks horrible but it tastes really fucking good yeah and like you know mashed potatoes and gravy and shit like that's uh, that's dope are you uh do you not like eating turkey because you're from there Yeah. No, I think it's just made. Turkey is like it's just so overrated. It's not good. I eat chicken every day. I eat one and a half pounds of chicken every day. What? Yeah. Damn, well, that's why you're so fucking muscular. I guess. People have described you as the most attractive male leftist on the internet. Really? Yeah. Do you think there's anyone coming close to you right now? Have you seen any handsome young leftist who you feel like maybe you're might I take think, your place? I think all leftists are handsome. I, I don't know. I mean, you're you're a handsome leftist. You think I'm handsome? Yeah, you're you're oh, a handsome leftist. Are you shit. blushing? I'm blushing right now. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. So, let's talk about the fucking man, Joe Biden. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. I make fun of the, I make fun of this because Tucker Carlson called um, Antifa protesters in Portland uh, armed mobs of Joe Biden.